Euzu billahi mineşşeytanirracim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi rabbil alamin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecmaîn. Assalamu alaykum. Uh, welcome to this uh, 21st episode of Risale Roundtable podcast. Uh, today's discussion uh, will be based inshallah on um, uh, the nafs uh, so, um, and in particular, the nafs that is um, at the level of nafs al-ammara, uh, the instinctual soul, the evil commanding soul, okay, so the nafs. Um, and in particular, how this nafs uh, can be um, trained uh, through the sawm, through the fasting of Ramadan, okay. Um, so, uh, to that extent, this discussion uh, will be um, a continuation of our previous discussions on uh, some of the benefits in Ramadan and especially the fast of Ramadan. Uh, uh, but, uh, of course, we'll, there will be a particular focus um, on this occasion on, on the nafs and, and what it is such that it can be uh, trained in the first place. Um, I'm going to read uh, now uh, from, again, the 29th letter on Ramadan. Um and I'll look at the um, fourth and fifth points, okay, which are both about um, uh, the training of the instinctual soul through soul. Uh, and after that, what I'll also do is just read a couple of other brief sections of the Risali Nur, um, where we'll learn some more about um, how Bedouzman understands um, the nafs. Uh, uh, and especially how he understands the nafs to function, the nafs al-ammara, how it functions. Um, and we'll then come back and um, uh, revisit uh, the 29th letter and uh, yeah, just try to make sense of um, how it is that Bethesman thinks that this nafs can be uh, trained. Um, all right, so without further ado, uh, here is the uh, fourth point. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. One instance of wisdom in fasting in Ramadan with respect to training the nafs, the instinctual soul, is as follows. The instinctual soul, the nafs, wants to be free and independent and considers itself to be thus. According to the dictates of its nature, it even desires an imaginary rububiyya, a dominicality, and to act as it pleases. It does not want to admit that it is being sustained and trained through innumerable bounties, especially if it possesses wealth and power in this world, and if heedlessness also encourages it, it will devour Allah's bounties like a usurping, thieving animal. Thus, in the month of Ramadan, the instinctual soul, the nafs of everyone, from the richest to the poorest, may understand that it does not own itself, but is totally owned, that it is not free, but is a slave. It understands that if it receives no command, it is unable to do the simplest and easiest thing. It cannot even stretch out its hand towards water. Its imaginary dominicality is therefore shattered. It performs its worship and begins to offer thanks its true duty. Fifth point. One of the many instances of wisdom in fasting the Ramadan, from the point of view of improving the conduct of the instinctual soul, the nafs, and giving up its rebellious habits, is as follows. The human soul, nafs, forgets itself through heedlessness. It cannot see the utter powerlessness, want and deficiency within itself, and it does not wish to see them. And it does not think of just how weak it is, and how subject to transience and to disasters, nor of the fact that it consists merely of flesh and bones, which quickly decline and are dispersed. Simply, it assaults the world as though it possessed a body made of steel and imagined itself to be undying and eternal. It hurls itself onto the world 
with intense greed and veracity and passionate attachment and love. It is captivated by anything that gives it pleasure or that benefits it. Moreover, it forgets its creator who sustains it with perfect, with perfect compassion. And it does not think of the results of its life and its life in the hereafter. Indeed, it wallows in dissipation and misconduct. However, fasting in the month of Ramadan awakens even the most heedless and obstinate to their weakness, impotence and want. By means of hunger, they think of their stomachs. They understand the need therein. They realise how unsound are their weak bodies and perceive how needy they are for kindness and compassion. So they abandon the souls, the nafses, pharaoh-like despotism, and through recognising their utter impotence and want, perceive a desire to take refuge at the divine court. And they prepare themselves to knock at the door of mercy with the hands of thankfulness, so long as heedlessness has not destroyed their hearts, that is. Okay, that's the end of the uh, fifth point. So we've just read the fourth and fifth points on um, how the nafs is trained um, and how its conduct is improved through the fasting of Ramadan. Um, let's now have a look at, um, as I promised we would, let's have a look at a couple of short sections where Bedizaman says uh, more about the nafs um, uh, in particular. Um, both these sections are in the Flashes collection. Uh, the first is in the 13th flash. The 13th flash, um, uh, it's a section entitled uh, Seventh Indication, um, and there's a subheading here, um, the answer to the second part of the question. Okay. Um, it commences as follows. How can someone who commits grievous sins remain a believer? Firstly, their error has been understood clearly in the previous indications so that there is no need to repeat it. Secondly, okay, so, and, and this is the part uh, that's going to be relevant to our discussion today in particular. Right? Secondly, just as man's nafs, his nafs al-ammare, his evil commanding soul, prefers an ounce of immediate present pleasure to a ton of postponed hidden pleasure, so too... He shrinks at, at the fear of an immediate slap more than at a year's torment in the future. Furthermore, if the emotions are dominant in a person, they do not heed the reasoning of the mind. Desires and delusions govern, and he prefers the slightest and least significant present pleasure to huge reward in the future. And he flinches from some minor present distress more than from some terrible postponed torment for desire illusions and emotions do not see the future indeed they deny it and if the nafs assists them the qalb the heart which is the seat of belief and the mind the aql fall silent and are defeated in which case, committing grievous sins does not arise from lack of belief, but from the defeat of the heart and mind through the predomination of emotion, desire, and illusion. Okay. Um, so that's the part we'll read from the 13th flash. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead now to uh, another um, flash, the 28th flash. Um, uh, in my copy here, the Standard English Translation, uh, it's page 373, um, and uh, commences as follows. Okay. Bismillah rahman rahim in the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate. This concerns one point contained in the verse, rendered here in English as follows. The human nafs is certainly prone to evil. And in the hadith, the meaning of which is, your worst enemy is your nafs. One who loves himself, if his nafs al-ammara, his evil commanding soul, has not been purified, 
right? So one who loves himself under those circumstances, right? Because nafs has not been purified, will love no one else. Even if he apparently loves someone, he does not do so sincerely, but only for the pleasure of it and for the benefit he receives. He always tries to make himself liked. Also, he does not ascribe faults to himself. He defends and exonerates himself like a lawyer. He praises himself, exaggerating and even lying, showing himself to be free of fault, as though sanctifying himself, and, according to his degree, receives the slap from the verse, rendered here in English as, who takes as his God his desires. His self-praise and efforts to make himself liked have the reverse effect, where he attracts contempt and is treated coldly. He also loses sincerity in his actions, which look to the hereafter, and they become mixed with hypocrisy. He is defeated by the emotions and desires of the nafs, which are blind to the consequences, do not think of results, and, right, here's the critical part, and are obsessed with present pleasure. He serves a year's prison sentence because of one hour's pleasure demanded by his emotions, which have lost their way. He pays 10 years penalty on account of one minute's pride or, or revenge. Quite simply, like a silly child who sells the portion of the Qur'an he is learning to buy a single sweet, a single lolly, in order to flatter his emotions, gratify his senses and satisfy his appetites, he makes his good deeds, which have the value of diamonds, the means to egotistical pleasures as insignificant as fragments of glass, and he loses out in profitable works. Okay. And he ends this um, short section with a dua. Ya Allah, preserve us from the evil of the nafs and of Satan, and from the evil of jinn and men. Okay, so I'll leave our readings there for the time being. Um, so what is this uh, thing called the nafs, to which Bediouzman is uh, referring here? Uh, uh, this thing that can be trained in Ramadan. Okay, well, the nafs uh, is a term that can be uh, used in different ways, um, uh, different related ways. Uh, in the Quran, it's often used to refer to a self. Right, so to us beings, um, so we're selves in our own rights. Um, you know, we each have our own uh, identity. Uh, we each have our own uh, physical and non-physical being. Right? So to that extent, we are a nafs. Okay? So the term nafs can be uh, used in that way. Um, other times, it's used to refer more specifically to. Um, the sum total of certain kinds of desires that we have, right? So certain faculties, certain desires that we have. Um, and in particular, these are our, um, our vegetable, uh, animal, and even our egoistic desires, right? So what kind of desires are these, right? Because these are going to be the ones that are, are, are relevant to our discussion right? um, of nafs al-ammare. Um, so some of our uh, vegetable, animal, and egoistic desires are just desires like this. Um, uh, you know, the desire, for example, to uh, protect yourself from some harm to your physical or mental um, well-being. Okay, um, the desire for shelter, right? and to that extent, uh, the desire, for example, to own a home, right? um, the desire to um, own uh, goods and to be able to buy services, um, the desire to uh, eat foods and uh, you know satiate our, our thirst and our hunger, um, the desire to yeah, let's say hear certain um, sounds like uh, to hear music, let's say, or uh, to see certain sights. Right? So the desire to you know indulge um, uh, uh, these sorts of pleasures, right? To indulge these uh, faculties. Um, 
some of our egoistic desires, you know, our, our desire to, um, to be liked, um, uh, you know, our, our want for self-esteem, uh, you know, our desire to be seen as someone accomplished, uh, someone that has uh, standing in the community, let's say, um, uh, our desire to accomplish things. Right? So all of these sorts of desires, right, are our... Um, can be referred to as as uh, the nafs um, or as nafsi desires, if you will. Um, but to say that we have desires of these sorts, um, uh, you know, certainly at least our desire for things like you know, um, satiating our thirst or satiating our hunger, um, you know, our desire to protect ourselves from physical harm and so on. You know, to say that we have desires like this. Um, uh, you know, that we want these sorts of things is not on its own to necessarily say anything bad yet about us, right? It's not, not yet to say anything negative um, about the nafs or about the, uh, the human being. Um, to say that somebody is, um, uh, you know, a nafs al-ammada, right? If someone has a nafs al-ammada, an, an instinctual soul, an evil commanding soul, um, to understand um, what it means to be in that state or to have that kind of a nafs, um, uh, yeah, we need to come back to uh, Bedouzman's descriptions of the nafs al uh, and the way that it operates, you know, um, the ways that it, um, uh, you know, it, its modes of thinking and so on um, that he refers to in the um, uh, 29th um, letter and, and indeed the 28th flash that we just read. Uh, it's this in particular. Okay, um, it's really a misuse right, um, of certain faculties, right? So those faculties that I referred to a moment ago, uh, those desires, right? It's to indulge them in the wrong way. Okay? Um, it's to indulge them specifically in this sort of way. It is to want to uh, indulge in some present but minor and transitory pleasure at the expense of some greater but delayed good, some greater but delayed pleasure, let's say. And then the converse of that, it's to shirk from some present uh, yet minor um, difficulty, right, or minor pain, right, some minor exertion, uh, even though Enduring that difficulty now, undergoing that sort of exertion now, will avoid a far greater difficulty at some future time. Right? So, in general, it's wanting uh, what will immediately gratify us or what will immediately um, protect us from uh, some difficulty, right? some pain. In that sense, it's very much childlike, right? So I'll come back to what I mean by that, um, you know, uh, when I give some examples in a moment now. Um, so there is a right and wrong way to indulge all of our um, uh, nafsi desires, right? Uh, so consider, for example, your desire to satiate your thirst, okay? Um, so the person who has a nafs al-ammada, Right, which I dare say will be most of us. Okay, um, of course we're trying to progress beyond this, right? but here and now, probably most of us um, will be forced to admit that uh, we are at the level of nafsalam mada. Right. So um, now this can manifest in various ways. Right. So this misuse of our faculties, all this. Uh, uh, indulging in these pleasures in the wrong way can manifest in different ways. Okay, um, so the nafs al amada can rear its head, in other words, in different ways. Now, the worst way that it can do so is like this: um, you can indulge in pleasures in the wrong way. In this way, for example, you can um, satiate your thirst uh, by, for example, going to a pub and purchasing. An alcoholic beverage, which you know, or at least ought to know as a believer, um, is something impermissible for you. Right? So go to that pub, purchase that beer, right, and drink it. Um, and of course, do so in a, um, in a manner quite unmindful of Allah, right, in circumstances where you're quite distant from Allah. Right? 
it's to satiate your thirst in that sort of way, right? It's to enjoy the pleasure um, uh, of that beverage, it's to enjoy the way it intoxicates you, uh, indeed to perhaps then go on and engage in certain kinds of misbehavior as a result of that in intoxication, right? So the nastal emmata can rear its head in that way, right? That's one way, in other words, to misuse that faculty right, of thirst, right? to satiate your thirst in the wrong way. Are doing something impermissible. But um, it would be a mistake to think that uh, the evil commanding soul or the Nestalemmata um, only manifests in that way. Uh, it can in fact manifest even in respect of permissible things um, uh, as follows. So again for example, uh, uh, still talking about the faculty of uh, thirst, Let's say that I uh, drink something that's, in the first instance, permissible for me, like, let's say, a soft drink, right? a cola beverage. Okay. Um, so in the first instance, I'm allowed to drink this, um, but the nafs al-ammara can manifest like this. Uh, I might overindulge in that. Okay. Um, so again there, uh, what I'm doing is I'm preferring some, uh, even though it's initially something permissible, I'm preferring some initial pleasure, right? namely the pleasure of drinking too many um, glasses of Coke, right? at the expense of um, some uh, uh, delayed but greater good, right? namely, uh, for example, uh, my health. Right, um, or uh, uh, you know, the state of my teeth, right, my dental health, let's say, right. Um, so it's important to understand that, yeah, you know, the the nestle uh its ambit um, uh, does not um, uh, it does not pertain merely to impermissible things, right. You know, uh, just because we the sorts of persons, let's say, who um, generally avoid um, what's outright haram, it does not mean that uh, we don't necessarily have a nafsal al-mada, right? Um, it, can, it can manifest in this sort of way as well, right? So again, here's something permissible. Uh, it's permissible for me, let's say, uh, let's assume, to um, enjoy certain forms of entertainment. Uh, it's permissible for me to sit down and um, you know watch a documentary on Netflix. Right, let's pretend. Uh, so that starts off being quite permissible, but then again, if I indulge in that in the wrong way, like this, right? Um, what if I enjoy that pleasure of watching that um, documentary or you know entertaining myself in that way, at the expense of uh, some greater good, like uh, some kind of worship that I'm neglecting. Right? Let's say that uh, you know I've already watched a lot of documentaries today, right? um, but I've read no Quran all day. I've read no Quran or I've done no dhikr. Uh, so what I would be doing by overindulging in that initially permissible thing um, would be uh, enjoying some present pleasure at the expense of some greater uh, but delayed good, right? Namely, the good that is the gaining of hasana, Allah's being pleased with me, uh, indeed Allah's rewarding me in the afterlife, perhaps rewarding me even in this life um, at some delayed time. Right? So it's always preferring, um, in general, it's always preferring some uh, immediate but minor good at the expense of some delayed greater good. Or the converse of that, it's the avoidance of some uh, immediate but minor, um, you know, some relatively minor difficulty, uh, even though enduring that difficulty would avoid me a greater pain in the future. Right? So, you know, a um, paradigm case of that is, you know, the person that wants to enjoy, for example, again, something quite permissible, like uh, lying down on a couch, right, relaxing on a couch. So done in moderation, you know, done in the right way, at the right time, uh, you know, uh, enjoying the pleasure of lying on the couch is quite permissible. But uh, if I overindulge in this, and if I do it in um, such a way, right, uh, as to neglect certain other things, like, for example, uh, exercise, right? Let's say that 
I sit on that couch all day long. I don't get up off that couch all day long. So now I've overindulged that pleasure. Um, uh, I've indulged that pleasure in the wrong way, in other words. Um, and that has been at the expense of, for example, um, some greater good, right? Namely, exercising or, uh, you know, performing, let's say, certain um, uh, good deeds, right? Going out and, uh, let's say, helping someone in the community, right? Visiting someone in hospital um, or at a nursing home or visiting the family member uh, and so on, right? You could make millions of examples for yourself, right? Um, so this is the way the Nafsal Ammar operates. Uh, in the worst case, it rears its head by, um, uh, in terms of the person who goes for what's uh, impermissible. Yeah, um, uh, that's one manifestation of the Nafsal Ammar to prefer something impermissible to something permissible. So it's again, you know, to enjoy some present uh, pleasure, even though enjoying that pleasure now might mean a severe punishment for me. Um, uh, you know, the nest doesn't care about that. It only looks to the present time. It only looks to the fact that oh, I'm going to enjoy pleasure now. It does not see the future. It does not think about the fact that uh, in the afterlife I might be punished for drinking that alcoholic beverage, right? So that's one set of uh, factors. Uh, that's one way the nafs al-amar operates in respect of haram things, but then there's a wide, wide range of ways it can operate. Um, it can rear its head. Uh, you know, you can you can have a nafs al-amar, in other words, in respect even of um, permissible things, right? uh, or at least things that start out as being permissible. Um, uh, but then in the midst of enjoying those permissible things in the wrong way, you end up uh, oftentimes doing something haram, like, for example, being lazy, right, which is a great, great sin, um, uh, or being wasteful. Right? Uh, you know, in every case, overindulging something is going to be indulging in that uh, in um, yeah, a, a non-frugal way, right? which is, again, another sin. Um, so, yeah, it's to indulge in things, um, in permissible things, in a way that ends up being impermissible. Um, it, in general terms, it's also to do this, right? Um, it's to enjoy pleasures in the wrong way, in this sort of way, right? It's to enjoy them insincerely, right? So those of you who have um, listened to our recent discussions um, uh, in these podcasts on sincerity, you know, will be familiar with this uh, notion right, of, um, you know, enjoying pleasures in a sincere rather than an insincere way, right? Um, in all of those examples that I gave, right, of the person who... Um, indulges in pleasures in the wrong way. Uh, you'll notice that, uh, if you think about it, in, in every case, uh, those, that, that person is acting insincerely. In other words, is acting in a manner uh, um, contrary to how Allah wants him to act. Uh, is, is acting in a manner that's not pleasing to Allah. Okay? He's not taking into consideration Allah's pleasure, uh, but is instead acting for his own pleasure. So uh, it, that's easy, to, very easy to see in the case of the person who goes and buys a beer instead of a soft drink, right? um, because the beer is, uh, you know, quite literally impermissible. Um, but again, even permissible things right, can be enjoyed in an insincere way. Uh, again, if I overindulge in, let's say, um, a cola or a soft drink. Um, uh, or if I drink it in a wasteful manner, right? Let's say I fill my glass um, and I drink half of it and then I just throw the other half, uh, you know, I just spill the other half into the sink. Um, I, if I did that, again, this would be another manifestation of the Nafsalem Mada. Um, I would be enjoying that pleasure. Uh, I'd be satiating my thirst in that instance uh, in a manner displeasing to Allah, right? in a manner quite insincere. Remember, to act sincerely is to act for Allah's sake, right? It's to act with the intention of pleasing Allah. And then if we're to be true to that intention, um, then we'd better know how Allah wants us to act. Um, and we'd better act in that particular set of ways. Um, so that's what it means, uh, of course, to act sincerely. So in every case where um, the Nastal Ammara rears its head, uh, we're always acting insincerely. We're always acting in a manner displeasing to Allah. So the nafsal amada is very much um, uh, something that we need to um, move past, right? Uh, the nafs is something, in other words, that needs to be um, trained. 
uh, it needs to be disciplined, yeah. it needs to be reined in, um, uh, so that we can act in a manner uh, pleasing to Allah. Okay, um, we shouldn't be satisfied with remaining at the level of nafs al amada. Okay, we shouldn't be happy if that's the sort of nafs that we have. Um, now, it's critical to train this this nafs because what it does is that um, the more that you indulge it in the wrong way, right, uh, the more addicted it becomes to indulging in those pleasures in that sort of way. Right? And what it can do is that it can commandeer your other faculties. Um, because it wants to, at all costs, continue to indulge those pleasures, right? That's what it means to have a nafs al-amada, right? It's to be addicted to um, enjoying pleasures in the wrong sort of way um, and to want to continue, therefore, to do that at all costs. So, Bediouzman refers to it um, in, in the readings that we've just done. Right? Uh, it will, for example... Um, want to deny any notion that it's doing wrong. Right? Right? The nafs wants to sanctify itself. Right? So, you know, uh, the person wants to think, right? the person who has nafs wants to think that they're not doing something haram. Um, uh, you know, so they'll deny that they're going to be held to account for that, let's say. Right? So, again, thinking of the person who, let's say, overindulges in um, soft drinks, uh, yeah, the person wants to imagine that. No, look, this uh, is not at all impermissible. You know, it's not at all impermissible for me to uh, only drink half my glass and spill the rest down the sink. Uh, because to admit that that's impermissible is then to deny uh, oneself um, it, the ability to indulge in that sort of pleasure the way one wants. Okay, uh, so the person's lazy, let's say, to you know put his drink back in the fridge, or uh, um, let's say that I mean it's easy to understand in respect of the person who you know drinks too many colas, right? Uh, so the person who overindulges in cola, why well, wants to keep doing that, wants to be able to do that whenever he or she likes, so therefore wants to imagine that uh, drinking that quantity of cola, let's say, uh, is in no way impermissible. Um, now. As this gets worse and worse, Bediziman mentioned elsewhere in the Risale Nur that you know, the person can go so far as to not merely deny that um, a certain form of behavior, you know, a certain sort of um, uh, manifestation of the Nasr uh, uh, uh not only will the person wish to deny that that's uh, impermissible, but will go so far as to even deny. Um, certain other tenets of belief, right? like um, the idea that there's going to be a day of judgment, you know, where we're held to account for everything that we've done, or, or at least maybe certain aspects of what occurs on that day. Um, you know, we'll wish to deny that we're held to account for every little thing. Um, you know, things like how many glasses of cola I drank on a certain day, you know, are just, um, uh, you know, too trivial or insignificant. Um, you know, for Allah to worry about, uh, so that we're not going to be held to account for that sort of thing. You know, this is the way that the nafs al-ammada likes you to think. Right? So it commandeers your akal, right, to think right, in line with its own prerogatives, its own um, uh, desires. Uh, getting even worse, right? it might wish to deny there's such a place even as hell. Okay. Um, and finally, you know, in the, uh, the worst way that it can manifest uh, in this respect is to even go so far as to deny there's um, uh, such a thing as a God in the first place to hold you to account. Okay? Um, it will do whatever it needs to, right? If it's not reined in, that is. Okay? If it's allowed to run free, right? If you continue to indulge it. Um, uh, the longer this goes on, right, the greater the extent to which this can manifest. Right? You can end up desiring that there is no hell, that there is no God, um, so that you can continue to indulge, right? because now you're quite addicted to those sorts of behaviours. Um, so given all of this, um, you know, the nafsal is certainly something that needs to be um, reined in. Okay, So... Uh, how is it that Bediouzman thinks that the nafs that the al-Amada can be trained um, in Ramadan? Okay, so let's remind ourselves what he has said um, in the twenty-eighth flash. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, the twenty-ninth letter. Right, 
in the fourth and fifth points. Right? To my mind, there um, there are two senses in which the nafs can be trained. Right? Um, from how I understand uh, what Bedouzman says there in the 29th letter, at least two senses right, in which um, the nafs can be trained. Right? So the nafs has been created in this way. You can think of it on the analogy of um, your uh, um, either your physical muscles, right? So the muscles um, you know on your body, or even a faculty like your memory. Right? Both of these sorts of things have been created in this way. Right? Most of our faculties are like this. Okay? Um, all of the faculties that it is within our power to affect through the choices that we make, they're all generally like this. If we use them in the right way, right? If we exert ourselves right, to use them in the correct way, right? In other words, if we undergo some difficulty and exercise them in the right way, then what happens is that they can grow, um, they can get stronger, they can get better. So that's quite easy to see in the case of our muscles. Um, what happens with the other muscles, right? It's easy to see. Uh, you exert yourself to lift weights, right? So you train that muscle, you lift weights. In other words, you exert yourself, you undergo difficulty. Um, and if you continue to do that, then that muscle gets bigger and it gets stronger. Um, uh, its endurance improves and so on. Very much the same sort of thing occurs uh, with the mind. Right? Um, and let's say your faculty of memory. Practice memorizing things whether it's your, you know, um, uh, multiplication tables or whether it's verses from the Qur'an, right? Train yourself in memorizing things and what happens is that your faculty of memory improves. It gets stronger um, such that you're able to increase your store of memories. Um, on the other hand, fail to train these um, faculties, right? Fail to... Uh, utilize your memory. Right? In other words, don't exert yourself to learn new facts or to memorize you know, new verses and so on. Um, and what happens is that that faculty atrophies, right? Or it, it declines, it deteriorates. Uh, you forget things um, or its capacity decreases. Now you can't remember as many things. Uh, you know, now you forget things more easily. Right? Uh, you become almost like a person with dementia. Similar sort of thing with the muscles. Right? Sit on a couch all day long and don't exercise your body at all. Right? Don't use your muscles at all. And those muscles quite literally atrophy. They get smaller. Um, now these are all quite contingent facts. Things didn't need to be this way. Right? Allah, It's clear that Allah has quite deliberately ordered the world in this way. Uh, it's clear to see that there's something about difficulty, right? Uh, you know, Allah likes us to exert ourselves. He likes us to uh, undergo certain forms and certain extents of difficulty. Right? Um, come back to why that is um, later, because um, that's uh, that's an interesting question in its own right. You know. Um, why? Why is it that um, you know difficulty is good for us? Right? Um, we'll come back to that. Um, but for now, our, our our issue is this: right, the nafs is very much like uh, the muscles on your body um, or your faculty of memory in your mind. Uh, if you exercise it, right, if you train it in a certain way, right, in other words, if you meet it with resistance. In a very similar way to how you uh, uh, you engage in resistance training in respect of your physical muscles, right? if you engage in a sort of resistance training right, in respect of your nafs, right? in other words, if you deny it the pleasures that it likes, right, um, you can strengthen it. It can become now the sort of um, nafs. Right? You can, you yourself, can become the sort of person right? um, that now can um, go without certain pleasures, right? And uh, you can rid yourself of addictions to certain pleasures, or you can tame those desires. You can bring it about now that you don't have to uh, um, 
go to the fridge for a drink of cola every single time um, that you feel like it. You know, uh, you, you can wait till the appropriate time, or you can drink uh, an appropriate amount of colas, right? And you can make other examples for yourself. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or thinking of some, you know, it might be even easier to understand in respect of certain uh, impermissible things, right? Like, for example, uh, the nafs gets a certain pleasure from, uh, let's say, uh, looking at some haram thing like, say, an attractive member of the opposite sex. Right? Um, you can quite literally train your nafs to be able to um, resist that temptation. Okay. Uh, how? How do we train it? Quite simply by uh, denying it that particular pleasure. Right. So uh, when we're talking about impermissible pleasures, right, the way to train the nafs is by um, uh, quite simply denying it that pleasure. Right. In toto. Right. All the time. Just to, uh, always deny it that pleasure, and then you can bring your nafs to the point where uh, ultimately does not even desire that anymore. Right? Now you're not even tempted by uh, that sort of thing anymore. Right? A member of the uh, opposite sex, an attractive member of the op opposite sex can walk past you, let's say, when you're stopped at the traffic in your car, someone can walk across your line of sight, and rather than be tempted to look at that person, your immediate reaction can be to lower your gaze right? in accordance with the uh, Quranic command. Right? So you can train your nafs to become that sort of a nafs. How? By meeting it with resistance, by denying it what it wants. And then in respect of permissible things um, that we shouldn't overindulge in, well, you can train it by, quite simply, denying it its uh, propensity to want to overindulge. Right. So, yeah, maybe you want to drink, um, you know, 10 glasses of cola a day, but... Train you can train your nafs by simply denying it that, and rather than drinking ten bottles of uh, or glasses of cholera a day, just drinking cola you know once a week or once a day, for example, right? Um, yeah, and again, you can make countless other examples for yourself. So the nafs is that sort of thing; it is amenable to being trained. Right? So that's one way that um, Ramadan is useful. Okay, because what happens in Ramadan is this, well, um, assuming, of course, that we've not already lost our way, right, um, that the nafs has not already led us so far astray that we won't even bother to fast, right, um, uh, so long as that hasn't happened, so long as you've been, um, uh, you've managed to bring yourself to fast, now what happens is that all day long, right, you are forced to deny yourself, right, all kinds of uh, pleasures, right? Sexual pleasures, um, uh, you know, pleasures, uh, well, certainly eating and drinking, but even pleasures like uh, egoistic pleasures. Uh, for example, you know, it's well known in the religion that there's no point of fasting if in the midst of that fast you're going to engage in backbiting, right? Um, and it's easy to see that backbiting is uh, a manifestation of uh, egotism, right? Uh, when we backbite someone, uh, you know, we say something negative about them, don't we? Right? Um, we say something about them that if they were to hear it, they would be offended. And generally, the reason why we do that is um, uh, we like to put down others because in doing that, we feel that we somehow elevate ourselves, right? We have that mistaken belief right? that putting down others means that we uh, elevate ourselves, right? So in Ramadan and the fast of Ramadan, you deny yourself those sorts of base pleasures. Yeah? And to that extent, you can train your nafs uh, to resist those sorts of temptations, right? or to at least tame them if they're permissible um, uh, pleasures. Right? So the nafs is that sort of thing, and Ramadan can tame it in, in uh, Namadan, Ramadan can train it. Right? The soul of Ramadan can train it uh, in that sense. But then there's this second sense as well. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier that you know, the nafs, because of its addiction you know, to uh, indulging pleasures in the incorrect way, right? So talking about the nafs al-mari here, right? Uh, it wants to indulge in pleasures in the wrong way, right? In an insincere way, in an in an uh, unworshipful way, uh, sometimes even a haram way, right? Um, yeah, it wants to indulge pleasures as it wants, okay? Um, in order to achieve this, it therefore wants to imagine that it is free, right? It's free to do what it wants, 
um, it gets you to think in these ways. Okay? Um, because the idea that it's not free, right, that it's a totally owned slave, it's, is not to its liking. Because that's going to mean that it cannot indulge, but yet it wants to indulge. Um, it wants to indulge in whatever pleasure it wants, however it wants. Uh, so the idea that it's a totally owned slave runs contrary to that. Um, now, uh, again, it wants to think that it's um, uh, strong right, and accomplished uh, and wealthy rather than weak and incapable and impoverished. Right? Um, the, the nest does not want to, because it doesn't want to see itself as dependent, right? it wants to see itself as free and independent so that it can do as it pleases. The idea that we are, as we've discussed in many previous discussions, that we are arjis and fakir, right? weak and impoverished, right? the idea that we are totally dependent upon Allah to meet all of our needs, right? all of our so-called achievements, right? um, are not really our achievements, right? but are rather our Allah's achievements. Um, the nafs does not like to know this reality. Um, so it always thinks in the opposite sort of way. Right? It thinks in contrary ways so that it can ultimately uh, indulge in desires. Um, uh, it can indulge its desires in the way that it wants. But Ramadan can train the nafs right, in respect of these incorrect ways of uh, thinking as well. Right? These sorts of uh, nafsi ways, right? this sort of nafs control, this nafs-centric thinking. This thinking that you know we own ourselves, that we have this sort of rububiya, right? Um, what is it to have rububiya? It's to have dominicality, right? To be the one who administers your world, at least. Right? So even if we don't administer the whole universe, the nafs likes us to think that at least we administer our own worlds, right? In other words. It likes to think that, hey, I'm the one who goes out and works. I'm the one who earns money. I'm the one who therefore meets my needs and my family's needs. So therefore, I should be free to spend that money how I want, um, eat that food in the way I want, etc., etc., etc. Ramadan reminds us that all of those modes of thinking, right, all of that nephocentric thinking uh, is entirely mistaken. Um, so Bedizaman points out how that's the case. Um, look, if you were really free, then you ought to be free to just go to the fridge and get something to eat or drink the moment you feel thirsty or hungry. But look in Ramadan, you see that you cannot do that. Right? You're afraid of you know, having to, um, you know, you're afraid of breaking your fast. You're afraid of the punishment of that. You're afraid of the obligation of having to, you know, uh, do a further 74 days of uh, fasting, whatever it is, to make up for um, breaking your fast, right, before the prescribed time. You're afraid of all that. So what does all that prove? It shows that, hey, um, you don't have um, any dominicality, right? You don't make the rules. You don't run the show. You're not the one who administers, not the universe or not even your own life. Okay. You are an, an, a wholly owned slave. You are entirely dependent upon Allah. Ramadan reminds us of, of all this. And in particular, the fasting of Ramadan, it reminds us of all of this. Okay. Um, so that's the, those are a couple of senses uh, in which uh, Ramad, the fasting of Ramadan can train the uh, instinctual soul. Um, let me come back now to the issue of, um, you know, why is it in the first place? Uh, because, you know, this, this, this is the issue that now arises. I mean, you know, what, what one might think, look, why burden us with this nafs al-ammare in the first place? So if this is our initial state, right, if this is, um, you know, how we are, like we're in this childlike state, right, um, uh, you know, just like a child, Right, like my uh, six-year-old, soon going to turn seven. Yeah. Uh, I know tomorrow morning when I uh, need to sit him down to do his uh, homeschooling, like his uh, you know, remote learning rather, um, when I need to sit him down to do his studies, he's going to resist that greatly. Um, why? Because he wants the immediate gratification of playing his iPad um, and he cannot see that if he gratifies himself in that way, he is, um, for the sake of a you know uh, immediate 
but temporary and minor pleasure, he's going to suffer a far greater loss, right? namely the loss of learning. Uh, he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna have to suffer all kinds of negative consequences uh, if he always engages in that sort of behaviour. But because he's a child, because he's a, you know, six going on seven, he can't see that. <laughs> the nafsal ammar is very much like that child. Um, you might think, well, why burden us with this childlike nafs al ammar? Um, you know, uh, why burden us with this in the first place uh, if if progressing beyond nafs al you know, if ridding yourself of that kind of nafs is um, a goal uh, for the believer, uh, if the nafs is something that needs to be trained uh, and, and caused to progress beyond the level of nafs al why give us nafs al in the first place? You know, why not give us uh, one of the higher levels of nafs? So, you know, um, uh, particularly in the uh, Sufi uh, literature, yeah, there's talk of... Um, are usually seven levels of nafs, you know, uh, starting from nafs al-ammara, uh, rising all the way eventually to the uh, yeah, nafs al-safiya, or the nafs al-kamila, uh, uh, nafs al the uh, pure, the perfected nafs. Um, you know, why not give us this perfected or pure nafs in the first place? Right? Or this nafs with which Allah is pleased uh, in the first place, you know. Um, well, it just comes back to this notion that, uh, as I promised I'd mention, as I promised I'd come back to, this notion that difficulty is something beneficial for the human being, right? Um, us having nafs, right? nafs al-ammada, in other words, us having this inclination to go for what's immediately gratifying at the expense of greater goods, right? Or of, of our inclination to avoid an immediate pain at the expense of a far greater pain later. Um, uh, us wanting this sort of immediate gratification or immediate pr protection from pain. Um, it just represents one of so many kinds of difficulty that Allah um, uh, has us endure. Right? Um, many, many kinds of difficulty that Allah has us endure. You know, the, the difficulty of um, suffering uh, some calamity. The difficulty of losing a loved one. The difficulty involved um, uh, in uh, suffering some kind of an illness, and so on and so on, right? Countless kinds of a very, very broad range of difficulties that Allah uh, has us endure here in this life, right? Um, well, the nafs al-ammara is just a, yet another one of those, right? Just like um, Satan, right, who is able to pester you, who is able to tempt you, or just like your bad friends, right? You know, think back to maybe some bad friends that you had, maybe in school or you know, maybe even still today. Um, the friend who always calls you to wrongdoing, yeah? You know, um, just like those sorts of difficulties, the nafs al-ammad is another difficulty, right? Why? Why have us endure all of these different sorts of difficulty? Why nafs al-ammad in particular? Well, difficulty is... In part, what makes us human, you know, it's in part what differentiates ourselves from malaik, right, from angelic beings. In the absence of uh, difficulty, there would be no means um, by which the human being could attain a rank higher than the angels. Right? So it's well known in the religion that, you know, the human being can rise to a rank higher than the angels or fall to a um, position Fall right down to Esfalisafili in the lowest of the low, right? You can fall right down to the pit of hell. You can end up worse than, you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you're going to end up as bad as you like, in other words, right? Uh, you'll be right down there with Satan himself, with Iblis himself. Right? Um, so this is well known. What it is that enables us to rise to those higher ranks, right, or indeed fall to those lower um, positions, right, is how we deal with difficulty. Right? Um, endure difficulty, right? in other words, exert yourself when required to. Right? Um, uh, for example, show patience when patience is called for. Um, avoid temptation when avoiding temptation is called for. Um, endure that difficulty uh, and you rise in rank. 
because the angels don't suffer these difficulties, right? Other kinds of, um, you know, uh, angelic or, um, you know, ruhaniya um, spirit beings, they don't suffer these kinds of difficulties. Therefore, their rank, uh, their station is quite sabit, uh, it's quite stationary. Right? They can neither rise nor fall. But the human being has the capacity to rise in rank. Well, what is this rising in rank consisting, right? Um, well, it can consist in nothing other than this, right? Like, when we do some sort of a good, right? Like, when we do some good deed, uh, all we're really doing there is we're mirroring some aspect of Allah's beauty and perfection, right? um, which is what we're created to do. Allah says, for example, that, um, you know, He's merciful and compassionate. And He wants us to understand what that means. He wants us to come to know the beauty of his mercy and compassion. For example, right, I could have picked any divine name, any divine attribute, right, but let's just talk, just focusing now on, you know, mercy and compassion. Allah wants us to understand the beauty of those things. And the, and the best way, the most full-bodied way to understand that right, um, is to actually engage in acts of compassion yourself. Okay. Um, so when you do that, what you end up doing is you end up mirroring uh, Allah's relevant names, right? In this case, uh, names like Rahman and Rahim. You end up mirroring those names uh, in the choices that you make, in the mirror of your being, if you will. Right? In other words, if someone was to watch you engaging in that sort of behavior, right, it would point to Allah. Okay, they would see the beauty of Allah's mercy and compassion um, reflected in the way that you're behaving. Okay? That's all we do when we um, act correctly. Right? When we obey the divine command to behave as uh, we ought to, like when we, uh, when we obey the divine command, for example, to do good and avoid evil, um, that's all we ever do. Right? We, there is no beauty that isn't a reflection of Allah's beauty. All beauty resides in Him. All beauty really belongs to Him. All we can do is mirror it, um, depending on how we use our free will. Okay? So that's the general function of the human being. It's to come to know the beauty and perfection of Allah's names and attributes by reflecting them right, through the choices that we make. Um, because in doing that, again, you have a full-bodied understanding um, of what it means for Allah to be Rahman Rahim, because you know you have an experiential knowledge of it right, through the way that you act. Now, what really gives value, right, or what augments, I should say, right, what augments or increases the value um, of those good deeds that you do, right, or those occasions where you mirror Allah's um, beauty and perfection, you mirror Allah's names and attributes in the choices that you make, right? Um, you mirror Allah's name of Rahman or Rahim, for example, right? What really gives value or augments the value of that is the difficulty that you underwent to uh, do that. Right? Um, that's, now, that's easy to see. Like, just, uh, just consider this example, right? Um, if I was to engage in a very, very easy um, act of uh, mercy or compassion, right? Like, uh, like this, for example. Let's say that I have a um, uh, a bank account, right, full of a billion dollars, right? So my net worth, let's say, is a billion dollars. I don't have any debts. I have a billion dollars um, of disposable wealth sitting there in my bank account. And I see a homeless person in the city, um, and I take pity upon his plight. So I give him Five cent piece. <laughs> All right. So I I figure that, you know, look, if everybody gave him five cents, by the end of the day, you might have enough to go and um, find some shelter. You know, he might have enough to uh, rent a hotel room for the night so he's not sleeping on the street. Uh, I think like that, let's say. Now, surely, surely I've done something permissible there, okay, in that I've engaged in an act of charity, um, in doing that, to some extent at least, I've mirrored Allah's uh, mercy and compassion um, uh, and, and, and names similar to that. Um, but it was extremely easy for me to do that on that occasion. Right? Why? Because I've got a billion dollars in the bank and I only gave him five cents. Right? Um, 
So it's easy to see that the value of that way of behaving well, right? That way of mirroring Allah's uh, names and attributes, right? Uh, it's easy to see that the value of that uh, is going to be rather limited compared to this other situation over here, right? Uh, imagine instead of having a billion dollars in the bank, all I've got, right? I'm a student, let's say, on um, Ostudy, right? Like back in my day, we used to get, I think, you know, a couple of hundred dollars a fortnight. Right? That's the extent of my wealth. Right? Uh, I've got $200 that needs to last me two weeks. Right? Uh, I've got to sustain myself for two weeks with $200. And I see a person in the city, again, who is homeless and needs some money. Um, and out of my $200, all of which I need, mind you, um, I give him, let's say, $20 or $50. Right? So... That particular act of compassion, right? that particular way of mirroring Allah's mercy and compassion, right? surely has far, far augmented value, right? much greater value than the former situation where I gave a person five cents even though I had a billion dollars in wealth. Right? Um, so from that very simplistic example, you know, it's easy to see that the more difficulty is involved um, in doing some good thing, or the converse of that, the more difficulty that is involved in avoiding some impermissible thing, right? Um, some haram thing, right? Or uh, some not so good thing, right? Even if it's permissible, right? Um, some lesser good, right? Let's say, um, right? The value in doing those things is very much always going to be commensurate with the difficulty involved in doing them, right? Um, so now we see that difficulty is an extremely valuable thing for the human being. Right? Uh, it is the means by which um, we can rise in rank. Right? You rise in rank depending not only on the actions that you do, but the extent to which those actions are good. Right? Um, you know, because not all good actions uh, are equal. Right? Um, it's one thing to give a poor person five cents when you've got a billion. And it's another thing to give a poor person $50 when you've only got um, $200, uh, right? So, um, Bedizaman talks about um, difficulty in these terms elsewhere in the Risali in order, you know, he, he refers to it as, um, you know, uh, difficulty is what uh, um, enables you to strive, right? You know, uh, to, to have to endure difficulties, to have to strive, right? Now, striving, he says, is the... Uh, as I recall, um, uh, if I recall his expression correctly, it's the um, mechanism of the action of progress, right? It's, in other words, the thing that makes you progress through the ranks of Kamala, through the ranks of perfection, right? Through the ranks of maturity. It's the thing, in other words, that makes you be a mirror to Allah's beauty and perfection to ever greater extents, right? Um, so the nafs al-ammara is one of the key things that does that. Right. Um, it's because it's difficult right, to varying degrees to resist all the various temptations right, or uh, that the nafs presents us with right? you know uh, yeah you know for a um, a single uh, young uh, brother um, it is uh, often very difficult, you know, to lower one's gaze, right? uh, say on the university campus or out there in, you know, the central business district. Uh, often it's, it's a great difficulty to do that. Um, but it's being difficult, right, to resist the nafs al-ammari in that way uh, is actually a great, great good because then um, when you do lower your gaze, right, you do resist that temptation, let's say, uh, then the reward will be commensurate with that. Right? Your rising in degree right, will be commensurate with that. Okay? Um, so, yeah, the, the nafs al-ammare and the difficulty that it represents and difficulty in general you know, uh, is a great, great good. Right? It's not in vain that Allah makes us endure difficulty. It's not in vain that Allah... Um, uh, you know, pesters us with uh, things like, um, you know, Satan, Nastal Ammada, um, bad friends or, 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 or persons at least, um, uh, illnesses, calamities, 
loss of loved ones and so on. Um, uh, in fact, it's a great, great good. Uh, if only we understood its reality, um, yeah, if only we understood its reality, uh, yeah, we would um, uh, quite willingly take it on, quite willingly accept it. We ought to be quite pleased, in other words, that Allah um, uh, has us endure such a thing called difficulty, right? Uh, we ought to be quite pleased, in other words, that Allah makes us strive. Um, Okay, so I think I've covered uh, pretty much everything that I, I wanted to say. Um, uh, yeah, so I'll leave it there. So just to uh, briefly sum up, you know, we've discussed some ways in which, uh, well, first of all, we've spoken about the nafs and the nafs al-ammada and the fact that it's the sort of thing that can be trained um, by meeting it with resistance, by denying it the pleasures um, uh, that it wants, or, but, or at least by denying it's um, enjoying those pleasures in the wrong sorts of ways. Right? Um, we've discussed that, um, and we've discussed how the Sawm of Ramadan uh, assists us to um, actually go ahead and do that, to meet that nafs of resistance, right? to exercise or to train or to discipline that nafs. Um, and finally, we've spoken about why um, it is a good thing um, that... Uh, uh, we have such a thing in the first place. It is a good thing that we have um, a nafs al-ammada to uh, resist, right? to uh, surpass, uh, to leave behind, you know, to progress beyond, if you will. Uh, it's a good thing in general. We said that we, um, uh, we're made to endure difficulty of various uh, kinds. Um, so uh, thanks again for everyone who's been able to join us and please do join us again uh, next week uh, if you're able to do so. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka antal alimul hakim ala rasulina as-salawat Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad lillah al-fatiha Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Oh, I mean, thanks again and salam alaikum.